Hey, thanks for listening to the Harvest Time Podcast. We hope today's message helps you know God in a real and powerful way. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. And I am just so excited to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to meet some of you today for the first time. Uh, Sarah and Nick back there, God bless you for being here. They just blessed me. They're brand new here. And uh, man, just good to be among family. You have a family of God here. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story today. I'm just going to read the Bible to you and tell you a story that contains some principles contains some important, important things that if the body of Christ would learn these things, then we, we would be stronger as a people. We would, we would, we would, I want to teach you something today, right straight out of the word that I just pray that you adopt this into your everyday life, your everyday situation, no matter what you're going through, whether you're on the mountaintop or the valley, it's good to be thankful. I'm going to talk to you today about the power of thanksgiving and praise. And this is one of the most powerful things that we can learn how to do, learn how to implement into our life, that it will, this practice will revolutionize the way you live. It has the ability to change your life, has the ability to change uh, your family's life, and if this nation would understand who God is and our nation would start to do this, then it could change our nation. How many of y'all know we need God to touch our nation? So I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians. This is not, not my main text. This is just an appetizer, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6, six and 7 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So the Bible says, rejoice always. Like even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of a crisis. Yes. Pray and stay connected to God all the time. Have this ongoing conversation with the Lord, that the Lord's never too far from you. You can talk to God at any point in your day, no matter what you do, where you are, he's available. He's a perfect father saying, bring things to me. It is the will of God in Christ Jesus that we would do this. Now, how can we be thankful during a crisis? How can we be thankful during our pain and our valley moments? Does anybody understand a valley moment? Maybe there's perhaps there's somebody here you're going through a valley moment right now. Well, you're in the right place if that is you. I want to tell you that God is commanding us to do this as a lifestyle. What is he commanding us to do? To pray without ceasing and be thankful in all things, for all things. No, in all things be thankful. So when we respond with gratefulness, there's three observations that I got for you today, and this is still in the appetizer mode, all right? So I want you to get a pen and paper out, get your notes out. This is what I want you to write down. This is just really quick. This will be a glancing blow. Number one, three observations about a grateful heart. Number one, it is an act of worship that God will be glorified 
when we have a thankful and a grateful heart. It's an act of worship. Did you know that our God is worthy of praise all the time? No matter what, he's worthy. Even on your worst day, he's still worthy of our praise. Did you know that if you are in Christ, that even on your deathbed, he is worthy of your praise? Why? Because when you close your eyes right here, you will open them in the presence of the Lord. Now, that's something to be thankful for. That's something we can be grateful for. You can be grateful and thankful in the middle of any circumstance of your life. So it is... An observation about a grateful heart is, number one, it's an act of worship that God will be glorified. Number two, it's about wellness. Did you know, doctors even tell us this, that when you have a grateful and a thankful heart, when you start giving thanks to God, you, it affects your heart rate. It, it, that can affect your blood pressure. You, you, you can live a better life with a life of thanksgiving. When, you, when, when God's praises start, when, when, when praise starts coming out of your mouth and you say, Lord, you're worthy in the middle of all of this, this is, this is a, a wellness. You'll feel better. God touches you in your soul. He gives you peace when there is no peace. He can give you strength when there's seemingly no other strength to be had. Three observations. It's an act of worship, God's going to be glorified. Number two, it's all about wellness. And then number three, praise and worship can be an act of war. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Because praise and, praise and worship releases God to do what only God can do. How many of you know there's some things that we don't have control over? But how many of you know that when we thank God and we praise God, that we put our hope and our trust in the one who can do anything? He is able and he is worthy of our praise. So my question to you today is, have you been burdened? Are you a little weak today? Are you in the middle of a crisis? Are you uptight? What did Thanksgiving on Thursday do to you? Because here's what I know. The holidays brings on its own anxieties. The holidays can bring people into your home or you can go into somebody else's home that honestly, you don't really like that much. Because every family's got some dysfunction. And I'm aware of that and I know that. Here's what I know. That no matter how much dysfunction you face, no matter how much strangeness there is, God is still with you and he is still worthy of praise. And sometimes you just got to release a shout unto the Lord. And sometimes you have to praise God in the middle of your valley, in the middle of the dysfunction, in the middle of what in the, your crisis and what you don't know what to do, in the middle of your doubt and in the middle of your worries. Because here's, not, here's what I know. There are people here today, you've got issues with your kids. There's a wayward son or daughter somewhere. And you don't have any control over that. There's a couple sitting in the room today and you're just on the brink of divorce and it seemingly doesn't look like there's any way out. But how many of you know that God is able? There's some people in the room today that you're heartbroken because this could be the first holiday that you've had to spend without a loved one. Let me tell you something. I want to acknowledge you. I love you, but God loves you too. And he sees you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the problems that we all face at times. So in a room this size with this many people in it, there's people 
on the mountaintops, but there's also people in the valleys. And so we're going to talk today about even some of the polarization that can come in, in, in just different sides of the universe that some families can be on. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Hopefully, there wasn't that one uncle that brought up the subject that nobody was hoping that he would bring up. Hopefully, you weren't that uncle. Here's what I know. Some battles are big, and they're bigger than we can handle. Some battles we don't have any control over, and there's some battles that if God doesn't show up, it's over. We're going to talk about this from 2 Chronicles today. I hope you open your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read to you a couple of passages here, and I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Here's what I know, that when the battle is too big for you, it's a sign that it doesn't belong to you. That's good news for somebody today. You're in a fight for your life right now, and you've been trying to handle everything. You're almost a little bit like you're a control freak. And you're trying to fix it. But can I tell you something today? Sometimes when the battle is bigger than you can handle, it's not your battle. It'll belong to the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you some context from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Because if you don't understand this right here, you won't understand what's going on. Context is good when you're reading scripture. All right? So here's what's happening. In the middle of all this, there's this nation. The nation of Israel is divided. It's a divided nation. Sound familiar? It's a divided nation. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is Judah. This principal character in this story that we're going to talk about today that I'm going to read to you His name is King Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. It's a funny word. I'm glad my name is not Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat, he's the king of Judah, and I need you to know that, and I'm going to give you a little more context in just a moment, but I'm going to read the first two verses first. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others besides the Ammonites. So there's others too. So you got the Moabites, you got the Ammonites, and some others. And others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now that's a bunch of ites, uh, probably some mosquito bites and some termites. But here's what we know. There's, there's, there's a bunch of armies. There's at least three that came. You like that one, didn't you, Chris? there's three armies that came against King Jehoshaphat at this point. So this is what we need to understand with context right here. So who are these people? The people of Moab, everybody say Moab. And then there are the people of Ammon. Everybody say Ammon. Do you know who these people are? These people are the descendants of a character that we've been talking about for the last few weeks the the descendants of Lot. Lot had two daughters. And do you know what Lot's daughters did when he got old? This is the people that we're talking about, the Moabites and the Ammonites. These are the descendants of Lot. If you didn't know what they did, these two daughters got Lot drunk. Must have got him really drunk. There's some Bible readers in the room. 
And their offspring with their father is the descendants of who we're talking about. You got it? And these descendants are born out of incest and sexual immorality. So you have to understand this. And then there were others. They were the Edomites. How many of y'all know who the Edomites were? This would be Esau's offspring. How many of y'all know who Esau is? Esau is the son of Isaac. He had a twin brother by the name of Jacob. Esau sold his birthright for a mo- in a moment of weakness, in a moment of, of the flesh. He sold what was rightly his for a moment. Now, that'll preach all by itself, but I want you to understand these are the offspring that we're talking about. These are the descendants. This is who this story is about. These three armies that's coming against King Jehoshaphat is trying to steal Judah's praise. By the way, Judah means praise. What we're going to talk about today is how in the middle of your circumstances and how in the middle of your pain and your drama, how to give God a shout of praise. And don't let the enemy steal your praise. Because if the enemy steals your praise, the Bible says that the rocks will have to cry out in our place. And how many of you know he's worthy of our praise? So there's these others with them besides the Ammonites that came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Verse two, then some came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. That would be the Dead Sea from Syria. And they are in Hazanon Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now this is not a small army. These are three armies of people coming against three tribes, three armies coming against Jehoshaphat all at the same time. He had a crisis. There was no way out. He was going to be defeated. There was no question. There was no way that he could win. He knew that he was going to be wiped out. He knows he has no chance. He knows there's no survival. He knows that people will be sold into slavery. He is in complete survival mode. Is there anybody here today that you're in survival mode? See, there's some, some questions that I get asked on the daily. People will come to me and they say, Pastor, is this the end? I've been hearing all my life that this is the end days or these are the last days. How many of y'all heard some people talking about that? Maybe you've even asked that question. Are these the end days? Are the, is this the end times? There's people that, that right now they're concerned and they're uptight and they're anxious. And so today I want to talk to you today if that is you. Because I know that people in this nation right now, they're polarized. There's two, there's, 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 it's almost like we are like Israel. We're cut in half and there's a northern and a southern kingdom. So Jehoshaphat was afraid. Look at verse three. So Jehoshaphat, he feared. And what did he do when he feared? He set himself to seek the Lord. How many of you know when you're fearful, that's a good thing to do. Set yourself to seek the Lord. What else did he do? He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask 
help from the Lord. So when you're fearful and you're polarized and when you're uptight and you're anxious and you don't know what to do, what should we do? I think Jehoshaphat had a really good idea of what to do. When he was fearful, the Bible says in verse three that he set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah and they gathered together to ask help from the Lord. Now that's some good advice for some people here today. Now look, look what they did. They, they came together to seek the Lord. They gathered together. Where did they gather? they gather? They gathered in a place like this. This is a good place to gather together if you're in fear, if you are, don't know what to do. This is a great place to gather with people of like minds, like heart, like spirit. The, this is your spiritual family. And it's good to surround yourself with your spiritual family when you don't know what to do. In fact, this building was built for moments like this. This building was built by people that went before us that said yes to God, yes to a vision. And how many of you all know, over the last two or three weeks, I've been talking to you about that. When you say yes to God, you leave a yes God legacy. So look around. The family's growing, and here's what I know. This place is built for people to be gathered together for a play in such a time as this, in a place like this, when we don't know what's going on and we don't know what to do, what do we do? We gather together. We set our mind upon the Lord. So if you're scared and confused today, you're in a good spot. Welcome home. Verse eight, let's continue with the story. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, remember they are in crisis. There's three armies coming against them. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple. And we will cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. This place has been dedicated for that. In fact, if, if, if you're going through some affliction right now, if you've got a bad report, if the doctors have just told you something that you weren't prepared to hear, if, 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 if there's some things going on in your family that you don't understand and you wish things was different, let me tell you something. This is a place to come together. This is a place where we can cry out together. There's some people in this place that you can call upon them and you can say, hey, I need some prayer right now. And they will pray. You know why they'll pray? Because they've been in similar situations and they've seen God come through. Verse 12, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us. Have you ever felt powerless? Powerless over a situation with a child? Powerless over a marriage that seems to be over? Powerless over a job situation? Powerless because maybe you just got let go and here it is, the holidays? powerless because you you're confused as to what you should do this is what they said for we have no power against this multitude see when you're powerless and you don't know what to do let me tell you what you should do you should run to the one who is able you should run to the one who is able to take care of all of your circumstances. You should run to the one that has power. When we are powerless, what do God's people do? We run to God who has power. You see, your friends think they know what you should do. You should look at their life. They don't know what to do. You got some coworkers that's been giving you advice. Can, can I... Can I vary from my notes just for a moment? 
Every smiling face is not your friend. And every person in your corner does not have your back. And they don't know what to do. In fact, they don't know what to do. That's why they're telling you what to do. It just is an escape for them. But let me tell you who does know what to do. Let me tell you that our God is able, that we can take things to him and he can show us when we are powerless, he has power. And when we give it over to him, he will show you his power. He's just waiting on us to say, are you ready? Mm. Look at this, verse 12. Nor do we know what to do, but... (laughs) Somebody about to shout. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I don't think you got it. Lord, we're powerless because of this great multitude that's coming against us. We're powerless in this storm. We're we're, we're powerless. We don't know what to do. We have no idea what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you who is able. Lord, we come to you today and we know that you are able to take care of every circumstance and every situation in our life. Lord, we come to you because we know that you are able. We are powerless, but you have all power. Shift your focus When you don't know what to do, when you are powerless, when you are scared, when you are uptight, shift your focus upon him. And when we do, that's when God is ready to do something for you. Now, look, look, continue on. Verse 12, look at this. We have no power against this great multitude. It's coming against us, nor do we even know what to do. Our friends think they know what to do, but God, we're coming to you because our eyes are on you. We are powerless, but what we're going to do is turn our eyes to the one that holds all power in his hands. When they put their eyes upon the Lord, I want you to see what happened. You say, Pastor, you're just reading a story to us. Mm -hmm. I'm showing you what some of you need to do today. There's somebody here and all chaos is breaking out in your life and you have no peace and you cannot slow your mind down. And I'm telling you what you need to do today. When they put their eyes upon the Lord, now remember, we don't know what to do. We are powerless. We are surely going to be destroyed. But when they put their eyes upon the Lord, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came. I kind of expected you didn't quite get it. I don't know what to do. We're surely going to die and be taken into slavery. There's a great multitude. I don't know what to do and I have no power against this. But they put their eyes upon him and then the spirit of the Lord came. When you take your eyes off your crisis and you put your eyes on Christ, take your eyes off your crisis, put your eyes on Christ and see what the Lord will do because the spirit of the Lord will come. Verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the sanctuary, verse 15, 
Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Why? Because the battle is not yours, but God's. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Put your eyes upon him. He's the one that has the power to do anything for you. This battle is not even yours. You can't fight it. You can't do anything. You are powerless and you have no control over this. But this is what I know. If we put our eyes upon him, if we put our trust in him, he says, when you don't know what to do, this is what you do. You fix your eyes upon me and the spirit of the Lord will come and I will tell you this isn't even your battle anyway. You You keep trying to do this on your own power and you can't do it in your own power. You keep trying to do this within your own flesh and you can't do it in the flesh. Why? Because this battle belongs to the Lord and it's fought in the spirit realm. Verse 16. He says, this is what you should do. Tomorrow, you go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, the geography of this is real. All these are real places. These are real people. This is not a fictional story. This, this is the truth. This is what happened. Tomorrow, I want you to walk toward them. I know it don't make sense. Tomorrow, I want you to walk toward them. Don't hide out and don't run. I know it don't make sense. But remember, this is not your battle anyway. I don't want you to try to escape because the battle belongs to me. This is what God is saying. So he says, you won't have to fight. I'm going to fight them for you. He says, position yourself. Take a stand. Position yourself. You will see victory if you position yourself and stand. Look at this, verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Hey, that's some good news for somebody today. You've been fighting, you've been striving, and you're worn out. You you are the person that says, I'm worried sick. I don't know what else to do. When you don't know what else to do, I'm telling you what you should be doing. Listen to this. You don't need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Stand still and position yourself. Why? Because God is with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Because God is with you in the middle of these circumstances that you, by the way, cannot do anything about. See the salvation of the Lord who's with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. So how do we position ourselves? How is it that we're supposed to stand? In the word. Somebody just got it. The light bulb just went off for somebody. Listen to me. Why do you think that I love getting a text every week from somebody that says, Pastor, I just finished all the way through the word. It happens almost every single week. Sometimes two texts from somebody in this church. Pastor, I I took the challenge, the 15-minute-a-day challenge. I took it. I got through the whole Bible in a year, and I'm I'm understanding more and more about the Word. So how do we position ourselves? Number one, it's the Word. Because what defines my reality? The Word. What defines my worldview? The Word. What is it that defines your reality? 
You see, here, if social media or the news cycle is defining your reality and you're not rooted in the word, no wonder you're in chaos. See, let me tell you, here's what defines my reality. See, there's, there's a cycle in the media. And y'all, I don't know if y'all know this. They're just trying to sell, sell stuff. That's what they do. They got to stir it up to sell stuff. All right. Now, is there some truth? I'm sure there's some truth in there somewhere. But what I'm saying is, I don't let my mind be dismayed by a news cycle. What I do is I keep my mind rooted in the word, in the word cycle. There's a word cycle that happens at my house every morning when I wake up. That word cycle starts right after I pour me a cup of coffee. But after I pour a cup of coffee, the word cycle starts. Here's my question to you. Is your first click social media? Is your first click your emails? Is your first click, what am I going to do today? Or is your first click, Lord, I got to open up your word. That right there, my friend, will change your reality, it will change your perspective. And that's how you position yourself to stand. You stand on the word. It's a way of life. It's principles to live by. Whatever lives in your head affects you. Whatever you're allowing to live in your head, it's gonna affect you. Romans 12, two says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Whatever lives in your mind will affect you. So whatever your habit is in the morning, I'm going to challenge you today. There's going to be somebody, you're going to text me later or let, me, let the office know. You're going to tell me, I finally accepted the challenge. I'm getting in the Word today. If that's somebody today and you just haven't been doing that, I'm challenging this whole church. Get in the Word every day. Don't let a day go by that you're not in the Word. Why? Because it positions you for victory. It's a positioning that says, I don't know how to live my life, God, but you obviously do. You've written the word for me, and I, you cannot obey a word you do not know. Amen. You can't live by a principle that you don't understand. Look at this, verse 18, position yourself. Oh, he didn't just, listen to how he positioned himself. Jehoshaphat, what did he do? He bowed his head. You know what this is? This is recognition. He bowed his head with his face to the ground. He, he positioned himself and he said, God, without you, I'm surely going to die. Without you, I, I, I can't live this life. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to bow in your presence. I'm positioning myself in a way that I know that no matter what happens, you are with me. He bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, what'd they do? They bowed before the Lord. What else did they do? They were worshiping the Lord. Now remember, they're done. They're about to be destroyed. They're, they're, they're about to be completely annihilated and enslaved. But what do they do in the middle of their crisis? They fall down and worship. That is our first response. Grateful in our crisis. Look at verse 19. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high, 
So they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat, he stood and, st- and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, look at what he does. What he does is he says, go get the worship team. He says, go get the band, go get the singers. Now listen, I know the band. There's probably a mass exodus that day. It's not a really good time to build, uh, to build a worship department. Because why? Because we're going we're gonna to put them out front. Look at what he does. He says, he says, I want you to get the singers. I want you to get the band. I want you to get all, all of the minstrels. I want you to get them together. I want you to put them out in front of the army, uh, out in front of the army, and I want you to create a wall of praise. Let it be a wall of praise that's so loud, it's so big, it's so wonderful that it's going to, it, it, God is going to be glorified. In the middle of our crisis, we're going to glorify him. We're going to create an environment of praise in this place. That is exactly what we should be doing. Because here's what I know. Dexter, we're powerless to fix the issues anyway. And what we're doing is we're positioning ourselves. We're saying, God, I can't do this, but I'm positioning myself in the word and I'm bowing in your presence and I'm saying, Lord, if you don't show up, there's gonna be calamity. But if you do show up, I know that I have a chance of victory. And either, either there's calamity or even if there's victory or calamity, I'm still gonna worship you and I'm gonna glorify you and I'm gonna praise you. Why? Because you are worthy to be praised. Watch what happens when you position yourself. Verse 21, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and those who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. They started singing this over and over. Now, look at verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, that's important. It wasn't enough to say, okay, send send the band out there. They had to do something. They had to start to praise. When they began, when they began to sing and to praise, listen to this, the moment that they opened their mouth, God went to work. The moment that they opened their mouth, heaven opened up. Look at this. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were what? They were defeated the moment that they were obedient and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. The minute your mouth opens, heaven opens up too. So lift up your voice, lift up your hands, lift up worship unto the Lord your God, even in the middle of your calamity, even in the middle of when you don't know what to do, even in the middle of your crisis, put your mind and your eyes upon Christ. For the people of Ammon and Moab, they stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. These ambushes, they started getting so confused and God took care of all of it. They destroyed one another. The Spirit of God destroyed them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Stop trying to destroy someone else. Get off social media. Stop yelling at people on social media and just start blessing people. Just start blessing God and blessing the Lord and worshiping him. Use your platform to elevate God. Use your platform not to tell other people how they should be living. Use your platform to show how you are living. Worship the Lord and see what will happen. Victory will come. But you're not going to have victory if you keep yelling at people on social media. Watch what happens. So Judah 
Verse 24, when Judah came to a place where overlooking the wilderness. So they're singing, they're playing, making music, they're worshiping. I bet you the trumpets was loud that day, Dexter. They was praising God. They had no idea of where they were that God was already at work. The Bible says, so when they came to a place overlooking the wilderness. In other words, when they went up high, when they climbed high, they could start to see what God was doing. So you can't see what God is doing when you're just sitting on the ground. Sometimes you have to change your position. Sometimes you have to stand up and you go to a high place. Sometimes you got to say, God, I'm going to worship you in the high place. I'm going to go up. I'm going to go up and see what you're doing. You got to change your perspective because God is doing stuff. You can't see stuff from the ground. When Judah came to a place overlooking in the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude and there were dead bodies falling all over the earth and no one escaped. God did it. The rest of the story is it took three days to, to get all of the plunder. It took three days to pick up all the good stuff. In the middle of the circumstances that did not look good, in the middle of the crisis that was terrible, what did they do? They set their eyes upon the Lord. They said, we don't know what to do, but we know that you do. They trusted the Lord. They positioned themselves. They said, Lord, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. God says, well, you should start worshiping. So they started worshiping in the middle of the greatest crisis they'd ever seen. There was a day about eight years ago, the biggest crisis that I had seen, the biggest crisis my wife had ever had to face at Mercy Hospital. They just did hours of surgery on her. And they came, some of you were there that day. Thank you for being there for us. That's what a family does, a family of God. But what happened was the surgeon came out and said, sir, the next 48 hours will tell you, it'll tell the story, whether she will live or die. And in that moment, I had to decide, am I gonna praise God in the middle of my valley? Am I gonna praise God in the middle of my crisis? Am I gonna lift your name up? Am I gonna do what I say I should do? Am I gonna do what I preach? Or am I just going to crumble in the middle of mess that I'm in? Am I going to lay down in this valley and just cry out? Or am I going to stand on your word and say, Father, I know that I'm victorious in you. And I know that you are able to, to do abundantly and exceedingly more than I could ever do. I don't have any control over this anyway. I commit my life to you. I commit my wife to you. I commit my family to you. I will, I will serve you all the days of my life. I will, no matter what happens, no matter what comes, I'm going to worship you. People are going to see my response to who you are in my life. And I can telling you right now because that was eight years ago and my wife is alive she's still with me and I'm thanking Fa father God for his healing touch I want to invite the worship team to come out because I had a I had a choice to make these people had a choice to make this day their choice was either to wallow in the valley and say, well, I guess we're just all going to die. Or they could set their mind upon the Lord. They could admit that there's nothing that they could do anyway. They could position themselves in the word and say, I'm going to follow you, Lord, to whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Because I'm out of options and I'm out of any other thing that I could live. I can't live it out any other way. I'm just going to worship you. Why? Because you're worthy anyway some good news for somebody in the room today because in the middle of all of your pain and frustration when you're powerless and you're hopeful when you're hopeless and you feel like you're already defeated the 
culture that we live in, the world that we live in right now and everything that we're seeing, your, your mind could go to a place of desperation you, you're, because of family issues, because of whatever you're facing today, you could crumble all around you or you could turn your eyes upon Jesus. You could see the one who is able to make a difference, the one that is able to bring you to victory. Verse 26, and on the fourth day they assembled, this is after they picked up all the, all the spoils. On the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name in that place was called the valley of Baraka until this day. And then they returned and every man of Judah and Jerusalem was with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with how? With joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with the band and the singers, the stringed instruments and the harps and the trumpets to the house of the Lord. And after that, verse 29, the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for God gave him rest all around. Is there anybody here today you need some rest? You need some peace in the middle of your chaos? I'm speaking to some people today. Thanks again for listening today. If you want to know more about our church, find us on social media or visit harvesttime.net. See you next time.